Chapter Ten of the Jewel by Anton Chekhov, translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Three days after the picnic, Maria Konstantinovna unexpectedly called on Nadezhda Fyodorovna, and without greeting her or taking off her hat, seized her by both hands, pressed them to her breast, and said in great excitement. My dear, I am deeply touched and moved. Our dear kind-hearted doctor told my Nikodim Alexandritch yesterday that your husband was dead. Tell me, my dear, tell me, is it true? Yes, it's true. He is dead, answered Nadezhda Fyodorovna. That is awful, awful, my dear. But there's no evil without some compensation. Your husband was no doubt a noble, wonderful, holy man, and such a more needed in heaven than on earth. Every line and feature in Maria Konstantinovna's face began quivering, as though little needles were jumping up and down under her skin. She gave an almond-oily smile and said, breathlessly, enthusiastically, "'And so you are free, my dear.' You can hold your head high now, and look people boldly in the face. Henceforth God and man will bless your union with Ivan Andreitch. It's enchanting. I am trembling with joy. I can find no words. My dear, I will give you away. Nikodim Alexandrich and I have been so fond of you. You will allow us to give our blessing to your pure, lawful union. When? When do you think of being married? I haven't thought of it, said Nadezhda Fyodorovna, freeing her hands. That's impossible, my dear. You have thought of it, you have. Upon my word, I haven't, said Nadezhda Fyodorovna, laughing. What should we be married for? I see no necessity for it. We'll go on living as we have lived. What are you saying? cried Maria Konstantinovna in horror. For God's sake, what are you saying? Our getting married won't make things any better. On the contrary, it will make them even worse. We shall lose our freedom. My dear, my dear, what are you saying? exclaimed Maria Konstantinovna, stepping back and flinging up her hands. You are talking wildly. Think what you are saying. You must settle down. Settle down? How do you mean? I have not lived yet, and you tell me to settle down? Nadezhda Fyodorovna reflected that she really had not lived. She had finished her studies in a boarding school, and had been married to a man she did not love. Then she had thrown in her lot with Laevsky, and had spent all her time with him on this empty, desolate coast, always expecting something better. Was that life? I ought to be married, though, she thought, but remembering Kirillin and Achmianov, she flushed and said, No, it's impossible. Even if Ivan Andreitch begged me on his knees, even then I would refuse. Maria Konstantinovna sat on the sofa for a minute in silence, 
grave and mournful, gazing fixedly into space. Then she got up and said coldly, "'Good-bye, my dear. Forgive me for having troubled you. Though it's not easy for me, it's my duty to tell you that from this day all is over between us, and, in spite of my profound respect for Ivan Andreitch, the door of my house is closed to you henceforth. She uttered these words with great solemnity, and was herself overwhelmed by her solemn tone. Her face began quivering again. It assumed a soft almond-oily expression. She held out both hands to Nadezhda Fyodorovna, who was overcome with alarm and confusion, and said in an imploring voice, My dear, allow me, if only for a moment, to be a mother or an elder sister to you. I will be as frank with you as a mother. Nadezhda Fyodorovna felt in her bosom warmth, gladness, and pity for herself, as though her own mother had really risen up and were standing before her. She impulsively embraced Maria Konstantinovna and pressed her face to her shoulder. Both of them shed tears. They sat down on the sofa and for a few minutes sobbed without looking at one another or being able to utter a word. My dear child, began Maria Konstantinovna, I will tell you some harsh truths without sparing you. For God's sake, for God's sake, do. Trust me, my dear. You remember, of all the ladies here, I was the only one to receive you. You horrified me from the very first day, but I had not the heart to treat you with disdain like all the rest. I grieved over dear, good Ivan Andreitch as though he were my son. A young man in a strange place, inexperienced, weak, with no mother. And I was worried, dreadfully worried. My husband was opposed to our making his acquaintance, but I talked him over, persuaded him. We began receiving Ivan Andreitch, and with him, of course, you. If we had not, he would have been insulted. I have a daughter, a son, you understand the tender mind, the pure heart of childhood. Whoso offendeth one of these little ones? I received you into my house and trembled for my children. Oh, when you become a mother, you will understand my fears. And everyone was surprised at my receiving you, excuse my saying so, as a respectable woman, and hinted to me, well, of course, slanders suppositions. At the bottom of my heart I blamed you, but you were unhappy, flighty, to be pitied, and my heart was wrung with pity for you. But why, why? asked Nadezhda Fyodorovna, trembling all over. What harm have I done anyone? You are a terrible sinner. You broke the vow you made your husband at the altar. You seduced a fine young man, who, perhaps, had he not met you, might have taken a lawful partner for life, from a good family, in his own circle, and would have been like everyone else now. 
you have ruined his youth don't speak don't speak my dear i never believe that man is to blame for our sins it is always the woman's fault men are frivolous in domestic life they are guided by their minds and not by their hearts there's a great deal they don't understand woman understands it all everything depends on her to her much is given and from her much will be required oh my dear if she had been more foolish or weaker than man on that side god would not have entrusted her with the education of boys and girls and then my dear you entered on the path of vice forgetting all modesty any other woman in your place would have hidden herself from people would have sat shut up at home and would only have been seen in the temple of god pale dressed all in black and weeping and every one would have said in genuine compassion o oh lord this erring angel is come back again to thee but you my dear have forgotten all discretion have lived openly extravagantly have seemed to be proud of your sin you have been gay and laughing and i looking at you shuddered with horror and have been afraid that thunder from heaven would strike our house while you were sitting with us my dear don't speak don't speak cried maria konstantinovna observing that nadezhda fyodorovna wanted to speak trust me i will not deceive you i will not hide one truth from the eyes of your soul listen to me my dear god marks great sinners and you have been marked out only think your costumes have always been appalling nadezhda fyodorovna who had always had the highest opinion of her costumes left off crying and looked at her with surprise yes appalling maria konstantinovna went on anyone could judge of your behaviour from the elaboration and gaudiness of your attire people laughed and shrugged their shoulders as they looked at you and i grieved i grieved and forgive me my dear you are not nice in your person when we met in the bathing place you made me tremble your outer clothing was decent enough but your petticoat your chemise my dear i blushed poor ivan andreitch no one ever ties his cravat properly and from his linen and his boots poor fellow one can see he has no one at home to look after him and he is always hungry my darling and of course if there is no one at home to think of the samovar and the coffee one is forced to spend half one's salary at the pavilion and it's simply awful awful in your home no one else in the town has flies but there's no getting rid of them in your rooms all the plates and dishes are black with them if you look at the windows and the chairs there's nothing but dust dead flies and glasses what do you want glasses standing about for and my dear the table's not cleared till this time in the day and one's ashamed to go into your bedroom underclothes flung about everywhere 
India rubber tubes hanging on the walls, pails and basins standing about. My dear, a husband ought to know nothing, and his wife ought to be as neat as a little angel in his presence. I wake up every morning before it is light, and wash my face with cold water that my Nicodem Alexandrich may not see me looking drowsy. That's all nonsense, Nadezhda Fyodorovna sobbed. If only I were happy, but I'm so unhappy. Yes, yes, you are very unhappy, Maria Konstantinovna sighed, hardly able to restrain herself from weeping. And there's terrible grief in store for you in the future. A solitary old age, ill health, and then you will have to answer at the dread judgment seat. It's awful, awful. Now fate itself holds out to you a helping hand, and you madly thrust it from you. Be married. Make haste and be married. Yes, we must, we must, said Nadezhda Fyodorovna. But it's impossible. Why? It's impossible. Oh, if only you knew. Nadezhda Fyodorovna had an impulse to tell her about Kirilin, and how, the evening before, she had met handsome young Atchmianov at the harbour, and how the mad, ridiculous idea had occurred to her of cancelling her debt for three hundred. It had amused her very much, and she returned home, late in the evening, feeling that she had sold herself, and was irrevocably lost. She did not know herself how it had happened, and she longed to swear to Maria Konstantinovna that she would certainly pay that debt, but sobs and shame prevented her from speaking. I am going away, she said. Ivan Andreitch may stay, but I am going. Where? To Russia. But how will you live there? Why, you have nothing. I will do translation, or or I will open a library. Don't let your fancy run away with you, my dear. You must have money for a library. Well, I will leave you now, and you calm yourself and think things over. And tomorrow, come and see me, bright and happy. That will be enchanting. Well, good-bye, my angel. Let me kiss you. Maria Konstantinovna kissed Nadezhda Fyodorovna on the forehead, made the sign of the cross over her, and softly withdrew. It was getting dark, and Olga lighted up in the kitchen. Still crying, Nadezhda Fyodorovna went into the bedroom and lay down on the bed. She began to be very feverish. She undressed without getting up, crumpled up her clothes at her feet, and curled herself up under the bedclothes. She was thirsty, and there was no one to give her something to drink. I'll pay it back, she said to herself, and it seemed to her in delirium that she was sitting beside some sick woman, and recognized her as herself. I'll pay it back. It would be stupid to imagine that it was for money I... I will go away and send him the money from Petersburg. At first a hundred then another hundred, and then the third hundred. It was late at night when Laevsky came in. At first a hundred, 
Nadezhda Fyodorovna said to him. Then another hundred. You ought to take some quinine, he said, and thought. Tomorrow is Wednesday. The steamer goes, and I am not going in it. So I shall have to go on living here till Saturday. Nadezhda Fyodorovna knelt up in bed. I didn't say anything just now, did I? she asked, smiling and screwing up her eyes at the light. No, nothing. We shall have to send for the doctor tomorrow morning. Go to sleep. He took his pillow and went to the door. Ever since he had finally made up his mind to go away and leave Nadezhda Fyodorovna, she had begun to raise in him pity and a sense of guilt. He felt a little ashamed in her presence, as though in the presence of a sick or old horse whom one has decided to kill. He stopped in the doorway and looked round at her. I was out of humour at the picnic and said something rude to you. Forgive me, for God's sake. Saying this, he went off to his study, lay down, and for a long while could not get to sleep. Next morning, when Samalenko, attired, as it was a holiday, in full-dress uniform, with epaulets on his shoulders and decorations on his breast, came out of the bedroom after feeling Nadezhda Fyodorovna's pulse and looking at her tongue, Laevsky, who was standing in the doorway, asked him anxiously, Well? Well? There was an expression of terror, of extreme uneasiness and of hope on his face. Don't worry yourself, there's nothing dangerous, said Samarlenko. It's the usual fever. I don't mean that, Levsky frowned impatiently. Have you got the money? My dear soul, forgive me, he whispered, looking round at the door and overcome with confusion. For God's sake, forgive me. No one has anything to spare and I've only been able to collect by five and by ten rouble notes, only a hundred and ten in all. Today I'll speak to someone else. Have patience. But Saturday is the latest date, whispered Laevsky, trembling with impatience. By all that's sacred, get it by Saturday. If I don't get away by Saturday, nothing's any use, nothing. I can't understand how a doctor can be without money. Lord have mercy on us, Samoylenko whispered rapidly and intensely, and there was positively a breaking note in his throat. I've been stripped of everything. I am owed seven thousand, and I'm in debt all round. Is it my fault? Then you'll get it by Saturday, yes? I'll try. I implore you, my dear fellow, so that the money may be in my hands by Friday morning. Samolenko sat down and prescribed solution of quinine and calii bromati and tincture of rhubarb, tincturae genitaniae, aquae phenicolae, all in one mixture, added some pink syrup to sweeten it, and went away. End of chapter 10